we make our prayer in his name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. If you would open your Bibles to the 100th Psalm, we will be giving particular attention to that this morning. Rachel, thank you for the scripture that you read. It reminds us that in every page of scripture that we look, we hear the admonition, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Okay, the 100th Psalm. I hope everybody had as delightful a Thanksgiving as we did. Did you know how Thanksgiving started and when? The Thanksgiving holiday tradition actually began with a 1621 celebration in Plymouth, Massachusetts. The 1621 Plymouth Feast and Thanksgiving was prompted by a good harvest. And it featured deer and turkey, lobster, seals, and swans, and lasted for five days of prayer and of thanksgiving to God. I wonder, did any of you have seal or swan? We didn't. We had some nice shrimp, and we were the guests of Tina and Dave at a location where 1,500 people showed up and collectively we ate 80 25 pound turkeys which is why these are the only clothes that fit me right now <laughs> as president of the united states george washington proclaimed the first nationwide thanksgiving celebration in america marking november 26 1789 as a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. That was a Thursday, by the way, coincidentally. It was also his very first presidential proclamation. Would that God lead us as a nation back to public thanksgiving of God's favor. Thanksgiving was first celebrated on the same day by all states in 1863 after a presidential proclamation by President Lincoln. In his Thanksgiving proclamation, he said this, and I've duplicated it in your insert, but listen to the words he chose, written while the nation was in the midst of a bloody civil war. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies to these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watching providence of Almighty God. So despite its origins and the historical and religious reasons for having a national holiday of Thanksgiving, fewer and fewer people are actually celebrating what the holiday means. I don't know about you, but I, I marvel at hearing non-Christians say they celebrate Thanksgiving. 
What are they celebrating? And who are they giving thanks to? And for what reason? Very few understand the reality that our annual Thanksgiving celebration, and you and I are the inheritors of this heritage, actually had its origins in Reformed belief. It was Calvinistic separatists, both pilgrims and Puritans, who organized the first day of thanksgiving to God. It was a formal, community-wide celebration on that cold day in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it was designed for one and only one purpose, and that is to thank God for his blessings and his mercies. But travel back in history with me for a moment and consider the context regarding the first Thanksgiving of the 102 pilgrims who left England on the Mayflower, half died before the first Thanksgiving from exposure to cold, starvation, malnutrition, and infection. Only four adult married women survived. Nonetheless, the men asked them to cook for everybody. (laughs) As one historian said, the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. No Americans have ever been more impoverished than these who nevertheless set aside a day of thanksgiving to the Lord. To me, that's remarkable. They looked past the many graves they had dug to thankfulness for every grave they did not have to dig. That is a practical understanding of Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. They knew that, and they believed that. They were a godly and thankful people. For them, despite conditions harsher than any of us can imagine, thankfulness was a decision based on faith and not feeling. It's interesting to examine the root of the word thanksgiving. In the original Greek of the New Testament, the word is eucharisto. You recognize that word. It's used some 71 times, and it means thankfulness or the giving of thanks. There are three components to this idea of eucharisto. One is confession. That is our confession of our failure to meet God's standards for our lives. The second is true thanksgiving, acknowledging God's mercy and forgiveness. And finally, praise, our overt and public expression of that acknowledgement. So, we will see that with this context in the 100th Psalm. Let's turn there together. and I'll read it. Make a Joyful noise. Who do we make it to? To the Lord. Who should make it? All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 
The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Lord, would you grant me the ability this morning to communicate the riches of what we have just read together. That you made us and we are yours. For that we rejoice. And grant to us open ears and open hearts that after examining your word together, we will better understand and have resident within us everlasting gratitude and thanksgiving for what you have done for us. And thus leave this place different than when we walked into this sanctuary this morning to worship you. We enter now, all of us together, into your gates of worship with thanksgiving and praise. Amen. I want to read the 100th Psalm again. It's something that maybe we ought to all write it on an index card and put in our wallet. Because in this world, as Pastor John mentioned, we no more than turn around and there's a new war or a natural disaster. And yet, we are to thank God and praise God. What are we told? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. There's a little note in my Bible that says, except for Greg Polk. <laughs> know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. Nobody can ever change that. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are to enter His gates. Don't come to His gates. Don't enter into the throne room without observing this admonition. Come with thanksgiving, with praise, giving thanks to Him, blessing His name. For what reason? Despite our circumstances, because the Lord is good, His steadfast love each and every one of us will endure forever and His faithfulness to all generations. It is a psalm that overflows with thanksgiving and defines a way of living which is thanks living. So first a brief outline. Notice that the psalm starts with commands. Make a joyful noise. All the earth. Serve Him. Do it with an attitude of gladness. Indeed, our, our gladness and our thankfulness is to be so profound, so emotionally real, that we are to come into His presence. We can't help ourselves with singing. Why? As I said, because we know that He is God. He made us, and we are His. And for that reason, we are to enter His courts. With praise and singing, we start by giving thanks to Him and blessing His name. Words fail at trying to communicate what is being said here. 
we, we get glimpses in Scripture every time we read of someone coming into the presence of the Lord. Take Isaiah as an example who falls on his face, stunned, overwhelmed by the glory of God. That, that's really going to happen to every one of us who believes. That's going to happen. Suddenly all pretense is lost. All our, our pride, at least mine, and rationalization is, is gone. And like Isaiah, we will likely beg the Lord to move away from us because of the reality of our unclean lips. Lips that have failed to praise Him and pollute His presence with our sin. That's why such a big deal is being made over thanks and praise in this passage. Giving thanks is a direct command to us from Scripture. Through His Word, God is instructing us on how to enter into His holy presence. God commands that we come with hearts filled with thanksgiving. In Hebrew, the word ruah is also used for thanksgiving and has the sense of shouting out joyfully. A, a, a literal translation of verse 1 is actually shout joyfully to the Lord. I looked carefully. And I did not find comma when you feel like it or when your circumstances lead you to a fleeting emotion. God commands that we come into His presence with hearts filled. This same word, ruah, is used in Isaiah 12.6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is again a command and not a suggestion for how we interact with the holy, sovereign God of the universe, the God of all creation. When we come toward God, His holiness, His majesty is, is right there. We're entering His courts, His gates, into His holy temple. We approach His throne by going through His gates, and we're to come with praise. The Bible often calls it a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice means that whatever you're bringing has likely cost you something, maybe something big. As implied by the term sacrifice. So what sacrifice can we bring to a great and mighty God? Temple sacrifices are no more. We can't earn our way to God by the bigness of our sacrifice. Rather, our sacrifice is a reaction to what God has granted us, which is belief. It's faith by His grace. Scripture tells us, bring your sacrifice pride, your anger and hostility maybe at your circumstances, your rationalization, and the bizarre concept in our culture 
that somehow our logic trumps God's all-knowing logic for how we should live our lives. Why does our verse say, come with singing? The psalmist says in chapter 16, verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. But of course the proviso. This will only be true for believers. For the unbelievers, and I hate to say it, but for the unbelievers, there will be the most overwhelming dread and angst. We either believe Scripture or we don't. We believe that Scripture is the truth of all truths. And Scripture tells us this plainly, over and over, in narrative, in history, in metaphor, in allegory. It's very clear. This issue of singing is important. One commentator said it this way. Christianity began with angels singing over the Bethlehem manger. And according to Revelation, eternity will begin with the saints of God singing the song of the redeemed. Isn't that a marvelous thought? God likes joy and rejoicing. In Zephaniah 3.17, and how often have you heard a reference to Zephaniah? We are told this, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is right here, right now with us. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God loves praise and singing. Scripture says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. This too is a command instructing us that we come into his presence, into a place of worship, and we are to come with thanksgiving and grateful hearts. First Thessalonians 5.18 instructs us this way. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I, I am not trying to be naive here. As a physician, my professional career has been filled with giving people news that they have no cause to rejoice over. Other than the promise of God that all things will work together for our good. All things will. It is a promise. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't explain it. But I know it's true because Scripture tells me it's true. Do you see what Scripture is saying about what our heart and mind attitudes are to look like? How are they to be molded and, and shaped to be conformed to lives pleasing to God? And yet one of the chief failures of those who are unredeemed was pointed out by Paul in his 
letter to the Romans in Romans 121, he says, although everyone, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And what happened? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. How foolish to ignore God. How foolish to not rejoice and praise Him. Sounds like we're having a Hebrew lesson this morning, but I'm trying to learn more Hebrew words. And there are seven Hebrew words expressing various ideas of the nature of grace and of praise that I want to share with you. One is halal, a Hebrew word for crazy exuberant praise. Another is shabach, a Hebrew word for loud praise. Tehillah, a Hebrew word for song of praise. Zamar, a Hebrew word for making music, joyful music accompanied by strings, which we had today. Thank you. Todah, a Hebrew word for a thanks offering. And uh, barah, kneeling before God. So a, a Hebrew understanding of the fourth and fifth verse of the 100th Psalm would be this. Enter his gates with todah, extending our hands with a gift of thanks. His courts with tahilah, songs of praise. Raise your hands in yada, thanksgiving to him and humbly barah. Kneel before his name. I think in an instant, when we face God, we are going to know and sense all these things all at once. Which is why everybody in Scripture who sees God is overwhelmed with his holiness. And I suspect with these kinds of senses. Knowing all this leads to an understanding for believers that thanksgiving is a Christian duty. Thanksgiving and thanks living is a Christian duty toward God. Over a century ago, a man named Joseph Exel, in 1905, wrote a commentary on this chapter of Psalms. I thought it was the best that I found in my study preparing for this message. In it, he discerned several important issues which I've adapted for our use this morning. First, he said that there are hindrances, he called them, that interfere with the command for thanksgiving. And he articulated this thusly. The habit of looking too much at others and too little at ourselves. We can choose to look at what others have or their imagined good fortune and imagine our own circumstances to be pitiful. But the reality is that whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, God is using to sanctify us, to teach us. To which I would add, let the lies of the prosperity preachers be accursed. Second, letting the mind dwell too much on the dark side of our experience. The 10,000 daily blessings where God has surrounded our lives are lost sight of in the occasional clouds of difficulty that may checker our path 
We think more of the one thing we wanted and didn't get than of the tens of thousands of blessings we did not. Have you ever thought, I mean, maybe this is just me, but every time my flight is canceled or I'm delayed in my drive, I wonder, I wonder why. And I give thanks, not knowing what it is. I suspect an innumerable amount of those circumstances will become clear to us one day. So what might help us develop sorry, better habits of thankfulness toward God? Well, one, we must develop and keep hold of why we are here. Let's interpret everything through why God created us and why he put us here and what our mission is. We are being sanctified on our journey to eternity, to God. We are here to praise God and to enjoy Him forever and to share that good news with others. If you try to reason and think your way to God, you are on a fool's errand. Because we cannot comprehend the immensity of God. We have no other experience in our natural lives that can help us to understand that. It will always feel incomplete if we use human reason. It can be no other way. We should dwell on the innumerable divine mercies present and actual, that are the reality for the believer in Christ. Instead, we far too often imagine a fantasy land, daydreaming of what we don't have. I know I do that. And that can lead to dissatisfaction with what God has given us and blessed us with. We must learn to look at the lessons in our misfortunes learning to look upon such misfortunes as God's disguised blessings. For any of you who have lost somebody dear to you or know of somebody who has, let me commend Jerry Sitzer's book to you called The Blessing Disguised. It is a book that could only be written by a very mature Christian who walked through the valleys of the most utmost despair, losing his wife, his mother, and a daughter in a second in a car accident while he was driving. To every true Christian, Misfortunes are just that. Blessings. I know it sounds naive to say, but Scripture tells us they are blessings, even though we do not see, feel, or experience them that way. As the special providence of a wise and loving Father, they cannot be otherwise. It is God that determines the comforts we enjoy and the trials we are to suffer. To become truly thankful 
We must know, obey, and love Christ. Specifically, we are to be Christians growing in grace and advancing in our knowledge of God. It's helpful to think through the reasons we have to be thankful. And I'll run through some that I thought of and you'll likely think of others. One, our circumstances demand it. For example, contrast your own condition, whatever it is, this very day, with that of the pilgrims I spoke of. Four women survived. That was it. Or for that matter, with 99.999% of the world's inhabitants, whoever lived. And yet these pilgrims sang praises to God in thanksgiving. For the sake of our own souls, we ought to be thankful. The habit of mournful sadness blinds the eye, dwarfs the soul, weakens every Christian grace. And eventually what results, Exel said, is a wretched, depressed creature that is a torture to himself and a curse to those he should be blessing. For our Heavenly Father's sake, we ought to cherish and display a spirit of thanksgiving. Shame on us if surrounded by the evident manifold blessings that individually and collectively this congregation enjoys. And for believers who are assured of impossible to imagine glory soon to be. Shame on us if we're beset by pitiful complainings. Rather, enter his courts with praise. Our desire must be to glorify God, not in the sense of trying to make him more glorious, for the praises of man nor angels can do that, but to indicate our thankfulness for grace and mercy, undeserved, no matter how good we think we are. No matter how valuable to the kingdom we think we are. These are mercies undeserved. For our justification. Our salvation. To acknowledge his glory. To proclaim our affection for him. And to celebrate him as one worthy of esteem. The praises of the whole world. For me, to personalize it. I am particularly thankful to have been chosen to be elect for regeneration, for justification. To see, to hear when my eyes were blind. How is it even conceivable that I should be chosen? I have to admit to you, when I first heard this concept in junior high, I thought, this is just something the youth pastor is saying? This is incredulous. The, the, the supreme judge of everything 
I literally thought this must have me mixed up with someone else. That's the only thing that made sense to me. But it's true. It's actually true. Which is why we enter his gates with praise and thanksgiving. God has figuratively looked you and me straight in the eye. I've tried to look in the eye of every one of you today. Straight through to our very soul. He's going to whisper your name. Actually, you know what happens? Second chapter of the book of Revelation says that he is going to write a new name for you on a white stone. He's going to hand it to you. A name that nobody knows other than him. He's already prepared that. For you and me. We are the inheritors of that promise. And when he looks at me and when he looks at you, he sees a law keeper, not a law breaker. And says he sees no wrong whatsoever in me or you because of being covered by the righteousness of Christ. This is outrageous. This is unbelievable. How could this be? It can't be if you use the reason of man. It is something divine. And that, brothers and sisters, is the courtroom scene. You and I are going to experience in the blink of an eye an overwhelming and unbelievable pardon forever, for every sin we ever committed. If, if our faith is entirely in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the others they will get exactly what they want to be away from God, to not hear His voice, to not accept His mercies. And they will get the death penalty. Is this not reason enough for rejoicing? humble adoration and thankfulness. This is so unbelievable that we don't really believe it. We want to add something to it. Something to make it look like the not guilty verdict was justified somehow by something we did or because of how we changed. Some merit or some work on our part. But that is not how it works. It's wrong thinking. Instead, it is an unbelievably outrageous and undeserved gift of mercy solely by God's grace. 
And since the 1500s, the reformers have been trying to pound this into our heads to teach us that it really is that simple. It's a gift, an undeserved, outrageous gift of God to you and to me. The reformers didn't just make this up. It's not just a different way of looking at Scripture. It's biblical truth. Where did they get this truth? They discovered it in Scripture. Look as one example of Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Write it on your minds and hearts. For by grace, and it's grace alone, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works or anything you did, so that no one may boast. It is sola fide. This is the heart of thanksgiving. For everyone who has been born again and raised from the death of our sins, revived and regenerated, so that we could believe in Jesus Christ and so receive this incredible, undeserved gift. Shouldn't we be the most grateful, humbled, praise-filled, singing, adoring, thankful people who ever lived? Each of us received a miracle. A God who chose you and chose me, elected us, granted us a full pardon from the death penalty we deserve, and then turned around and adopted us as sons and daughters. Incredible. We need to be thanksgiving and thanksgiving. So how might we think about applying these truths? First Thessalonians 5.18, which I read before, says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. God never promised us a life that would be easy. He never promised a life without trouble and persecution. Indeed, he tells us clearly that the opposite will be true. If we want to follow him, we need to take up our cross every day. And that has earthly consequences, sometimes severe but with a beautifully eternal outcome. He tells us that the way to him is hard and narrow and steep. It is not wide and easy like the road the culture wants and beckons you to follow. Yet we are to rejoice in these sufferings. He tells us it will cost us everything. It will be a sacrifice of praise. It is only by the grace of God and by the maturity that comes with time that we can trust that whatever befalls us, God has a plan. And his plan is for the Christian to work all things to our good. Again, not true for the non-believer. Everything, literally everything, will work out for their bad. That is why thanksgiving is a daily attitude, not just a day. God is just, 
to those who accept him. Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of his wonderful deeds. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. You see, thankful people openly and daily bless and praise God for his mercy and forgiveness. And they spend time with him every day. Thankful people are grateful for what God has given them, not on what they wanted and didn't get. Thankful people share the daily bounty of their blessings. Their thanksgiving with others every day. Thankful people seek God's face and glory and obey his promptings. The subordinate standard that we are studying in that room at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning that guides Presbyterian worship is the Westminster Standards. In particular, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, paragraph 3, says this. Prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship is by God required. Of all men and ladies, <laughs> and that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son by the help of the Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humil- humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. And that's just what we're going to do right now in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all things. Thank you that despite our best efforts to reject you and to live outside a relationship with you, you are in charge and irresistibly draw us to you. Thank you that you love those whom you have called and will never allow anything in their lives that isn't necessary in your wisdom. But help us, Lord, To better and better understand that, even in the heartbreaking things that today just don't make sense to us, but one day will. We struggle, Lord, with our our limited perceptions and our misunderstandings of what life should be like. Forgive our selfishness. Convict us of your command to share our blessings with those who do not have, to care for the widow and the orphan, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love you, Lord. Shield us now, Lord, under the protection of your glory, confident of your great mercy as we depart this place of worship. Amen and amen. grace is not just outrageous, but it's amazing. Let's stand together and sing what John Newton so eloquently described as the amazing grace. Stand with me.
So this trio has a as a postlude to play for us, and invites us to share that with them. So uh, if you would, if you need to go, go. But if you care to stay, please be seated. Uh, after Greg pronounces the benediction, we'll be dismissed. Now, church, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sin and for that all of God's people said together Amen. We're going to sit now and enjoy some music. After that, go into your mission field, remembering always that we live Coram Deo before the very face of God. Amen.